Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello folks, welcome to Wargaming Month here on The Napoleon Assist. A very quick reminder, smack the like button, remember to subscribe so you can find your way back, and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It'll take you a few seconds of your time, it'll make a massive difference to me and my ability to reach a wider audience with the, the details of the work of my fantastic guests. If you are willing to go just a tiny bit further and dig into your own pocket, and believe me, I completely understand if you're not up for that, you can do so in two ways. You can become a regular supporter via Patreon, different perks in each tier. Check the link in the description for more details on that. Or if a regular subscription isn't your thing, you can leave one-off tips via Ko-fi. Again, the link is in the episode description. Whatever support you're able to offer, as you know, I am massively grateful and enjoy the show. Hello and welcome to the Napoleon Assist and another instalment of Wargaming Month. As we head slowly towards the end of this sequence of episodes looking at the Napoleonic-based wargame, we're going to keep diving deeper and deeper and we're going back to the topic of miniatures today. I am joined by Miles Reedy, who is one of the brilliant hosts of Little Wars TV. This is a YouTube channel that is based around the art of wargaming. Essentially, they stick up a camera, set up the beautiful sets that are involved in the whole world of miniatures, and then record their, their wargames and post it on YouTube. It's a brilliant channel. We're going to talk more about what they do, how they do it and the art of what they do, because there is an art to it, which if you've watched their episodes, you will know all too well. Miles, welcome to the Napoleon Assist. Great to see you. How are you doing? Zach, thank you so much for having me on your show. Um, your introduction used the word brilliant. That's a term very rarely used by me, which I believe I will prove to your listeners over the course of this, uh, this interview. I very much doubt that. Shall we start with the personal element? This has been a running theme throughout Wargaming Month because it's all for me this is very much about people's individual roots in 
mm-hmm. um, and different people coming to in some cases the napoleonic era through war games or vice versa they start off in the napoleonic era and then go to war games looking to have a little bit of fun with what they're learning mm-hmm. so what was your route into the world of war gaming my my route is i grew up in rural alabama uh and I remember in the 70s, I'm a newly minted 60-year-old, and in the 70s, there was an ad for this magazine called Strategy and Tactics, and it was in Sports Illustrated, and I saw this thing, and I ran to my father, uh, who's a shrimper, and, and, and said, I want this. And I saved up my money. And that's how I got into war game. There was a monthly magazine from Simulation Publications, Inc. Uh, and, and there was different war games. And the introductory war game was Waterloo. A very simple game of Waterloo. Uh, I'd never heard of it. Growing up in rural Alabama, there was not a lot of, uh, even though we were in Acadiana, we're, we're along the Gulf Coast where the, where the Cajuns all are. Um, you know, there, there just there's one wasn't, wasn't an appreciation. So as a, I think twelve years old, I, I heard about this battle called Waterloo, uh, with these blue counters which were French and these red counters that were British, and some Prussian counters that I never really played with because I thought it would be unfair. Because um, yeah, who, who bothers to read the rules? Um, but that's how I got kind of in, and and like a lot of people, I, I, I did a lot of war gaming as a kid. Most of it was solitaire. Um, there weren't a lot of uh, people wanting to war game in, 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 in Alabama. Uh, and then I went off to college, work, a whole bunch of things. Uh, and then as I'm now semi-retired, um, my, my past career is a series of failed retirements. I retire. My wife gets really mad because apparently I'm quite annoying when I'm bored. Uh, and then I'll go start another business. Um, but um, I got back into... Uh, miniatures through my son, uh, who did the obligatory dalliance with 40K that, that he, he liked for a while, I liked a lot, and then he didn't want it anymore, and he went on to other things, and, and I felt a little odd going into these stores with these silly miniatures, so I, I came to the one true hobby, historical miniature gaming. That was a very long response. Not at all, but that's you know a nice indication of how people come to it, because nobody's route to this is simple and you know I woke up one day and suddenly decided that I needed to paint plastic figures and and that was going to be you know what consumed me but yeah, it's one think, of those things that develops yeah I think the craft part you know my son, my son was even earlier he liked trains so he had a model train that that I really enjoyed and he got bored with again after it went around two or three times and I really enjoyed the craft portion of model railroading the model railroading part uh just like my son it was kind of boring after a while. You know, you kind of run around the track, you're done. Uh, and then he, he, he came to this 40K stuff where you could meld the two. You had a craft portion, but you had a game portion that was interactive and you had to think. Uh, and I said, the light bulb went off and said, this is the hobby. So you've made quite a remarkable, shall we say, career or business out of this. Talk us through your channel and the premise behind it, because it's a really interesting concept. I've seen people try and do this with the digital war game. In fact, we had a ish ham-fisted attempt uh, at doing it uh, ourselves on the Napoleonicist channel uh, with Josh Proven uh, just a few episodes back. Check out the YouTube channel if you want more on that, folks. But to do it with the tabletop is really quite different and a really interesting way of doing things. So talk us through 
kind of the the notions behind it all well, well, the credit for any any success the channel has is related to some of the uh, my club members, Greg, Steve, Josh, Ed, uh, 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 Tony. There, I, I, there's too many to name, but the channel was the brainchild of a number of gentlemen who were part of a wargaming club in York, Pennsylvania, which is about an hour north of where I am. And the whole genesis around it was you know, they wanted to find a way to attract more people to the hobby. Uh, and a lot of people who, who, who try these things, try them on their own, and it's really hard. There's a lot of work. Um, and, and these guys had had a wargaming club that had been in various forms for 20 years. Uh, we also uh, were lucky enough that we have our own facility. Uh, one of the club members is in real estate. He bought a building. He leases out the top floors and we use the first floor for our clubhouse. Uh, and, and so a lot of things went right for us that, that, that you know, most people don't have access to. Uh, and Greg and Steve were the kind of driving forces at the beginning of this. You know, they, they planned out a 10 episode kind of arc to, and, and then they plan to do any more. Uh, and like a lot of things, it, it seemed to kind of catch fire. Uh, they, they made the rather poor decision to allow me to join the club right after that. Uh, something I think they rue to this day. Um, but, you know, no, no give backs. And, and we've been doing this. I think we're doing it at a slightly smaller pace, uh, but it's not a business. You know, it's, it's, it's a side thing. It's a passion project. Uh, and, and I think the keys is you have to really think about the episodes and plan the months in advance. And you got to have a team of people building it. You know, one person just can't do it. Uh, and then you got to have somebody who really likes to edit. And editing is probably the hardest thing in any video presentation. And we're very fortunate uh, that Greg and we have a, a volunteer who helps us also, you know, do the lion's share of the editing. I've done some editing. I'm really bad at it. Um, uh, we, 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 we have a, a review of a, a, an air war game whose name escapes me. I edited that. I'm not allowed to edit anymore. Yes, editing is is a, a curious little art in and of itself, and I'm always but quite I, pleased. I think it may be the most important thing. Yeah, um, absolutely. Uh, especially with something like a, a, a tabletop game, which is heavy on visuals and actually pretty light on action, other than people moving, moving stuff around, shoving stuff across the table and rolling some dice. Uh, you really have to edit it very carefully uh, to, uh, to, to kind of show some emotion. And you also have to take really good notes um, because we all forget. Well, we all remember the time things worked out for us on the tabletop, but we forget the times we screwed stuff up uh, and, and having really good notes and a good sense of humor. I think all the members in the club, you know, don't mind people making fun of them. And we've all made egregious mistakes that are now recorded forever. Uh, and, and, and I think that's also an important aspect. You got you to be willing to make fun of yourself because you're an adult playing with toy soldiers. There's not really all that much elegant about it. Which gives us a, a nice kind of indication of, of the style um, because that self-deprecating humor is one of the things that I think always goes down quite well with listeners. Um, and, you know, I, I hope that this will have encouraged people to, to go and explore your channel and um, hopefully support it as well. Let's talk about some of the history here. Um, the tabletop genre, how has it changed over time, do you think? And what do you think the reasons for that might have been? 
I, I think in general, the tabletop gaming industry has never been bigger. Uh, it's a plethora of choice. Uh, and it's nine-tenths fantasy sci-fi, one-tenth historical. And I'm probably being generous using one-tenth for historical. Uh, and, and so 20 years ago, you, you had family board games, which really wouldn't, we wouldn't call tabletop gaming, but Monopoly. And, and then you had a handful of guys you know, pushing around lots of miniature figures, typically ancients or Napoleonics. And, and the one thing I use to, is kind of a, a ratio of prep to play. You know, there was eight tenths prep, maybe nine tenths prep to one tenth prep, but it was the only game in town. If you wanted to war game, you did a large ancient army, you did a large Napoleonic army. It wasn't anything called skirmishing. Um, and, and so there, just people did it because that was the only alternative. And, and, and now there's just a huge range of options. Uh, and a lot of those options, that prep to play ratio is inverted. You know, uh, you know X-Wing, everything's ready to go. Uh, uh, sales of glory, everything's ready to go. And, and I think that's really driving the growth in the hobby. Uh, I think people by and large do have more leisure time or more options to choose from. And, and so I think that's a, you know, and that's why you see all the skirmish gaming because it's just, it's, yeah. If, if I want to do World War II skirmish gaming, I can paint 50, you know, 28 millimeter World War II figures, I'm good to go. Or I can paint 500 Napoleonic 28 millimeter figures and maybe I'm good to go. Yeah, absolutely. The, the time invested is always going to be the challenge yeah. with these things, isn't it? I always find it quite curious that some folks, so there are certain games out there where they mould, they cast the, um, the figures in a set colour of plastic. So let's say red for the British, mm -hmm. blue for the French. And so there are folks out there who just want to be able to, to push those figures as they come out of the box around a, a map. But it, it's interesting how some certainly people like me it's it's the little detail in the painting that is part of the fun but then I, I perhaps that's just kind of an indication of nerdery on, on my part let's let's stay with sort of frustration so we've talked about time invested is there anything that you desperately wish could be completely changed across multiple rule sets you know is there something that you off air you rant about you turn to your colleagues and just go what is it about these games that they insist on doing X? Is there anything like that? Is there? Yeah, no, I'm, not really. I'm inviting yeah, you to yeah. give a cathartic rant here. Uh, uh, here's my rant. I, I don't have one. I, uh, I like all the games. Each game is unique. Uh, and also most gamers kind of fall in and out of love with a particular rule set. Um, I think the one thing I wish I would have done differently, I've got a fairly large 28 millimeter you know, one inch high figures um, uh, that are beautiful that I haven't played with in six years. That, that I wish I would have gone with smaller scale figures to start with. Uh, I invested a lot of money, a lot of time, uh, and they look really great in a glass cabinet and that's all they do. Um, I play with my 15s and sixes all the time. And, and as a sad sign of a gamer, I have the same armies in multiple different scales and I justify it in my head as rational, uh, even though it's not. Um, so my one rant is I wish I would have found smaller scales sooner. We've got a, sailing, a saying in the club, you know, the bigger the battle, the smaller the scale. Uh, and, you know, we, we, we prefer to do entire battles, not, not 
one aspect of them. Uh, and you re really only can do that with, with a smaller scale thing. That's really interesting. So I was about to ask, why is it that you tend to find that your, your 28 millimeters are, are used less? Is it quite simply space? You know, you've got a board that's X size and if you've got 28 mil, then they're just that bit bigger. Well, it, they're that bit bigger. Yeah, I've got a couple thousand 28 millimeter figures. So I could do maybe a brigade or division action, depending on the rules. Uh, and, you know, we don't really have a table space issue at the club. We can configure our tables anywhere. Uh, but moving troops around, it's a lot easier to move six 15 millimeter bases that make up a battalion as opposed to, you know, 12 larger. It's just the gameplay is a lot easier. The friction of movement uh, is like I, I put on a lot of convention games. And, and one of the biggest things that I have to contend with is how do I make the game not, you know, 60% of the time people just shoving figures around. And anytime you can find efficiency there, uh, it's really helpful. Uh, and you can, you know, you can make it, you can recreate a geographically larger area in a smaller scale. So you're not just kind of lining up with one army on one side and the other army on the other side, you've got room for maneuver. Uh, and, and, and as a GM, that means I can surprise my players with hidden units and things like that. Things to, you know, it's always fun to screw your players. Absolutely. Do you, what's it like when folks come to this for the first time? Are they kind of conscious of the need for imagination when it comes to strategy or do they just kind of want to kind of turn up and roll some dice and, hey, look, I've got some nice figures. It, it, really, it really depends on, the, uh, on, on their, you know, their, their kind of personality type. You know, some people who are extroverted, they're going to just charge across. Whatever you, you give them, they're going to think they're elite and they're going. Uh, they're always Imperial Guard. It may not be, but they're Imperial Guard and, they go, and they're going to have a great time. You know, other people are afraid of making a mistake and they hunker down behind a hill. Uh, and, and so you got to make kind of make quick snap judgments as you allocate troops, kind of guessing on, uh, on personality type. Uh, a lot of people uh, come for the spectacle. And, and these things, it's, it's a moving diorama. And, and, and it looks really good. And we, and we spent a lot of effort to do that. that that's kind of the sex appeal uh, of the hobby. Uh, and then you got to kind of trick them into, yeah, but you're not signing up for five years of your life to, to make all this. You really are, but it's not bad because you kind of like it, but you don't know it now. And so you got to find a way to trick them in. That's why I love what like Warlord's doing with their, you know, their, their plastic Napoleonics. They make a hokey scale, 13 and a half millimeter, who cares? But as you said earlier, they're, they're cast in red and blue plastic and, and, you know, you can go with them right now. Go play. If you like the game, great. If you don't like the game, you didn't really invest a lot of money. Yeah, the expense thing is perhaps one of the, the challenges, isn't it? But what I've been quite impressed by is that you can. So I've looked at different kind of types lately. And one of the things that I've looked at is um, some of the Lord of the Rings and Age of Sigma and 40K kits compared to what you can get from the, the likes of it, <coughs> excuse me, of Italiaria and so on. And in terms of cost, they seem to be quite reasonable. Would you say that? history-based wargaming is a little bit cheaper in terms of uh, and easier in terms of roots in or is that just misconception on my part oh i i think it is it's all about ip um intellectual property you you can't you know copyright a sherman tank or a french you know imperial guardsman uh, you can copyright a space marine because you made them up 
or a space orc or whatever. And I can charge, you know, you know, for a, a plastic figure effectively 10 bucks for something that cost me maybe two cents to make. Um, and that IP is one of the reasons why most historical figure manufacturers really aren't making a lot of money. Uh, it's a pretty low margin business. Um, but as a hobbyist, it's a lot easier to get into. Uh, now, now it, 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 the, so that's, a, that's the unit cost. Then there's the velocity. How many units do you buy? Well, typically for most skirmish sci-fi games, you don't buy a lot of figures. Uh, but you know, for historical games, you end up buying a lot. Um, and, and you know, you, 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 as you bring new people in the hobby, you say, you know, why don't you focus on building a British battalion? Just do a battalion. And the next time we play, we're going to put your battalion on the table. And then in two months, you know, maybe we'll add another battalion. Um, maybe we'll add some dastardly French, uh, a little bit at a time. And you kind of trick them into doing it. Yeah, I must admit, when I first started looking at and really getting into the idea of miniatures, which was fairly recent for me, mm -hmm. um, I talked a lot about how I sort of started off with, in the airfix thing and then sort of migrated across. And the temptation to just sort of buy the equivalent of a whole cavalry regiment's worth of little figures. And you, you look, suddenly you look at your Amazon basket and sort of go, I might need to scale down my ambition here. Uh, is this is it's a very real thing sure sure we all say that at the beginning and then we become megalomaniacs yes there is a, a saying amongst those who um paint and, and make plastic models and, and kits and so on that there is there's a healthy ratio to be had uh, which to anybody who's outside of the, the art of, of making plastic kits looks deeply unhealthy, which is that for every kit you make, you probably need to buy another two or three. Well, I think that velocity is five. Well, clearly, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a moderate <laughs> here. I'm, I'm stingy. Um, but yeah, it is fascinating how I will look at the number of kits that sit around me. As I'm, as I'm sitting here recording this interview, to my mm -hmm. right, I've got a stack of about... 15 different kits of varying types. Uh, there are more across the room from me. And I've got another four behind me that are, are in the process of being built. But I'll still just casually scroll through, you know, various websites looking at what I need to buy next. And do I need to create a, I don't know, a, a Carthaginian army or something? And the, the answer in the back of my mind, the voices say, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Well, the, the key term was need. Uh, and, and, and that's obviously true. Um, I, I think with, it's a balancing effort, it, it, but you really, you really have to like the hobby aspect to be successful. Uh, you can buy pre-painted figures. I, I bought them in the past um, and, and use them to bulk out armies. But if you don't like the craft part, this is a tough hobby to stay in long-term. Uh, and if you like the craft part, you can stockpile because, you know, God knows, I, I, I went through my stockpile a whole bunch in 2020 uh, and, and 2021. And, and so I'm just, I'm, I'm restocking, you know, it's, so I'm, I'm just getting back up to, to normal supply levels. I mean, you allocated all that space in your house to those kits. What are you going to do with it? Just fill it with something else? That's nonsense. You've got to fill yeah, it back up right. now, right? We, we may have built an extra part of the house for this hobby. <laughs> Which I'm very, I've, got, I've got a very indulgent wife. Um, who, who indulges my two hobbies with this miniature gaming and sailing. Um, and, and, and 
in terms of midlife crises, I think she hit the jackpot. I'm not running around trying to fit myself into a tiny sports car I can't fit into or, or trying to chase 25-year-olds who I wouldn't know what to do with if I caught them. So in, in, in reality, as a midlife crisis, this, this is a pretty good one for her. Absolutely. Um, if, if you're not shelling out hundreds of thousands of pounds on a sports car and you're instead you're shelling out hundreds of pounds on plastic figures, I think yeah. you're probably going the right and, and way. Sports car, you look absolutely ridiculous in. Which, which is the most important aspect. Let's talk about uh, the components of a great rule set, shall we? What is it that separates out the best from, if you like, the rest? What, what would you say it is that really brings a game alive when it comes to the rules behind it? And this is a very personal decision. There's no holy rule set that rules them all. Um, for me... I like a rule set that has relatively simple mechanics. So I'm not looking up a lot of modifiers. Um, I like a rule set that has some level of command friction um, because I like it when my troops do what I want. I like it when I got to figure out, oh my gosh, they're not going to do what I want. Uh, and I love it when my opponent's troops don't do what he wants. Um, and so a really good rule set for Napoleonics is General Darme by Dave Brown. Uh, it's, you, can, you can find it on Two Fat Largest website. It, it, it's, you know, each, each maneuver unit, each group of miniatures is a battalion. Um, you know, it does a great job of kind of simulating the rock, paper, scissors of cavalry, artillery, and, 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 and infantry in Napoleonic games. But it has a really elegant command system. Uh, where you try to activate units, you've got a chance to influence it. The command friction aspect doesn't determine who wins the game. Like you don't roll a single dice, oh, I'm done. Uh, but it really adds the flavor and makes you think about the game. And, 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 and I think he's really done a nice job uh, kind, of doing, uh, kind of hitting those rules. So if I had to pick my favorite rules, it's General Darmit. Uh, we have a review of them. We'd use them for our Ocelots game video. Uh, you, 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 you'll, you'll see that, that both Tom and I from the channel, uh, we're, we're pretty much fanboys of Mr. Brown's rules. Kind of fawning admiration, so that's rather embarrassing. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. What I find really interesting is the way that you, and we've mentioned this already, that there, there is right, the, the computer game, the computer war game as an entity out there now. Um, and there are ways in which you can, as a content creator, engage with that as a means of uh, kind of drawing people into the period and, and the art of, of playing the game. 
how has the tabletop genre been affected by the rise of the computer game? Because initially you can kind of imagine that there was a concern that there'd be the sort of the demise, everybody would shift over to the computer and what would happen to the tabletop. But it seems that that hasn't necessarily been the case. I think, well, because, because you, have to, you, you have to like want the craft. There, there are people who are predispositioned to do this. I think tabletop, uh, the computer games, the, the sci-fi games, just increase the population of people we can recruit from, uh, that they want to take their experience to the next level. Um, I thought, you know, had you asked me this 20 years ago, uh, when I'm starting out uh, as a venture capitalist, I would have said, ah, computer games are going to wipe this stuff out. It's all going to be computer. And that's just not the case. Uh, what we do see is like, like there have been a few rule sets that try to moderate these tabletop games using a computer. Uh, I'd rather stick ice picks in my eyes than play those games. Uh, 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 they're, they're excruciating. Uh, now, it's an issue of user interface and all that. Now, maybe if we get to the day I've got RFID chips on every unit and, and you know, the data transfers immediately, then it might be fun. But right now, it sucks. Uh, but other games, especially Vassal, which takes like an, uh, a hex encounter game and you can play it online, we use those in the clubs to facilitate campaigns where we move units on Vassal operationally and then when they bump into each other, we, we will resolve big battles on the tabletop. And, and for us, that's actually been a really symbiotic way that these two things work. But the core issue is the more people who play computer games, the more people I have a chance to recruit that one or two people who want to make the jump to, to tabletop. That's really interesting. That's a really intelligent way of doing it as well. I like that. Um, and it, it chimes actually with what the, the computer game manufacturers are trying to do in sort of fusing the, the campaign with the, the resolution of a, of a battle itself. Yeah. That's very, very clever. Um, what about the future then? What do you think the future holds for wargaming? The big question that sort of seems to dangle in the air right now is virtual reality, VR. Is that likely to be the next big thing in some it, sense? It might be, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, my, my experience with virtual reality is it makes me nauseous. Um, uh, so the sets may not be for me. Uh, I think the, 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 the big trend will be 3D printing. Right now, it, you know, resin 3D printers are quite, a, quite approachable. They don't cost a huge amount of money. They're still pretty messy and awkward to deal with, but you can print out all the miniatures you want. Uh, so if I was a miniature caster, I would be really nervous uh, about 3D printing, you know, encroaching on my file. Because right now, you know, I could buy a bunch of six millimeter figures from a manufacturer, or I could buy a file from Henry Turner for a fraction of the cost and print out as many units as I want. And he's got this thing that I can't figure out how to use because I'm an idiot with the stuff, but where you can, you can change the lapels on the units electronically and print out any version you want. Uh, that I think that's going to revolutionize distribution of the product. Eventually, printers will print you know basic colors, uh, and, and you know you won't put, take your life in your hand kind of cure the stuff. Uh, I, I think that's really interesting. Uh, I think uh, people will continue to want a physical kind of experience, both with the the tabletops and the figures, and also the human interaction. There's still, as we learn, you know, there's just a difference from meeting people in person or meeting people across Zoom as we're talking. 
there's always going to be a desire for that that in-person stuff. So I I think the future is actually quite bright for tabletop gaming. Uh, I'm not sure it's as bright for big battle gaming, just because there's so many alternatives that have less and less work required to experience it. That's interesting. Yes, the, the 3D printing thing isn't something that I considered, but actually, as you raise it, the scope for individuality and creating something that's really bespoke really sort of sings there, doesn't it? You know, yeah. the idea that actually I want to print out a whole load of figures that are, you know, the 40th foot as they were in 1799, let's say. And, you know, you just build outwards from there. And yeah the the ability to then start to produce your officers and people you know your, your colonels on horseback all the way down to your, your rank and file uh, privates and so on kneeling in square or whatever it might be the scope for that must be an incredibly exciting prospect actually in terms of that individuality yeah i, I yeah i have a 3d printer an idiot like me can make it work um yeah no some most of the time and so if I can do it, it's, it's becoming approachable at a mass level. And so I, I think in five years, the bulk of us will be buying our figures as STL files uh, or whatever version, you know, that comes after that. And all of us will be scrambling to figure out how to, how to do 3D model. Uh, and then, you know, I, I expect these printers will become more and more user-friendly. Uh, so I, I think that's a really exciting development. Um, I think eventually there will be RPI chips or whatever the new equivalent is on bases, so I can keep my track of my losses and it'll light stuff up. And so I think you know the the the, the playability aspect is going to grow, but I still people are going to be sitting there wanting to have glue covered fingers making terrain and 3D models. That part I think we're still going to be Neanderthal like in our our our, our approach. Absolutely, there is something about the tactile nature of the art that that is part of the fun of it isn't there i want to talk about in, engagement because you the whole point of your channel is that you spend a lot of time engaging people mm -hmm. with these war games um there are a few kind of questions i guess i'm going to start with you know what are people looking for when they come to you you know do they want a different outcome to the battles of history or are they just looking for that community feel that you've spoken about before, or is it kind of a fusion of both? I think most people come to the channel are looking to feel like they participate in a community. Uh, a lot of war gamers are solitary people because we're hard to find. Uh, we don't walk around with a badge that says, I am a war gamer. Um, uh, so you, you gotta look for people who don't make eye contact or in the back of a, you know, the cafes. And, you know, the antisocial ones, but it's hard to find war gamers. And so they look for these channels online uh, to, to find them. We've been shocked at how successful our Patreon is. And I think it's part, people just want to be part of a community. Uh, and so that's a big aspect. Uh, we get subsets of people who are looking for really accurate historical recreations. Uh, they leave our channel usually disappointed because we're approximate historical approximations. We're not detailed. Uh, I cannot, every time we do a Napoleonic game, we have four or five people who feel compelled to point out that while the Battle of Austerlitz did take place in 1805, all of your figures have the wrong hats. Uh, or, 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 you know what, seven buttons instead of six. Um, mm -hmm. and, and I think they're actually trying to be well-intentioned, 
but they, they know so much. There's only so many people, there's only a handful of people that can actually share it with because when they share that knowledge at the Thanksgiving table with their relatives, they usually get kicked to the kids' table. Um, and and they're, just, they're just awkward. Um, um, uh, so I think, you know, there's other people who want like a detailed four hour video of every die roll. Um, and we film that much and it's, it's just excruciating to watch. Um, and it scares the hell out of the person who says, what is this? This kind of looks interesting. Oh my God, this is really boring. I don't want to do this. So we're trying to trick them into uh, it's really fast paced. I mean, I am very tempted now to go off and see if I can get I am a wargamer badges produced and then uh, market them for for folks who might be so inclined. Um, perhaps that would be a way to part to of it them. is we, one of the reasons things we add to our channel is we do a lot of convention recaps and conventions coming up. And the whole purpose is to let people know, especially on the U.S. East Coast where we're based, hey, there's these conventions go. Take, take an afternoon, go. You'll see people who, who actually like the same thing you do. And by and large, most people at conventions are quite friendly. You know, I run large participation games where everybody comes up, they get to play. My, finger, my, my figures always get mangled because people just don't know what they're doing. And that's okay. That's the risk I take. And I got no problem. There's, as I tell people, there's nothing on the table that I haven't dropped on the floor. So, you know, go ahead and drop it. Uh, and, and the whole goal is to make them feel like this might be something fun and we're not a bunch of jerks. Exactly. Can I kind of dig a little bit more into the, how you achieve that community aspect? Because you talked about how, you know, there's a need to balance what people experience and some people want the ultra detail. Some people want to um, point out the, the, the inverted commas inaccuracies of yeah. a set of uniforms because you use the 1808 mold and actually it's out of it's 1805 and you know this scandalizes them um so how do you go about achieving that community making sure that people can access it from whatever level they're approaching well, I, I think we specifically design it that it's something that is approachable to a new beginner and so that's our audience so our audience is people who are thinking about getting into war game might want to do it but just don't know enough our audience that's all we care about uh, if other people watch the videos and enjoy them, great. But we're targeting that guy whose son plays 40K, just like me 10, 15 years ago, who wants something a little more, you know, yeah, yeah, a, a little more meaningful. That's a kind of a pompous way to say it. Our goal is to bring new people into the audience. And, and, and we do that. And, and we, we do it in a way we like it. We, we like to do self-deprecating humor. Um, we will never appeal to the guy who wants to see every every move and every die roll. We're not his channel. There are other channels out there that do that. They're great. They're better at it than we are. Um, come see us for what we offer and, and go to them for what, what they offer. Absolutely. Um, before we start to, to wrap this up, I'm curious about any sort of horror stories, any faux pas you reckon you, you kind of mentioned about how, you know, some, sometimes mistakes get made and there are boo-boos that are, are done. Uh, and the only thing you can do in those circumstances is laugh at them. Are there any that you want to share with us? Any kind of instances that really stick in your mind where you thought, what the hell was I doing there? Oh, there, 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 are, there are a lot. We just filmed a video uh, this past Saturday for an episode that's coming up that, that, that I commanded an Australian battalion uh, that I proceeded to just get it wiped out. Um, the, Italian, the, the Italians triumphed over me. Um, 
not really. I mean, we always have kind of funny moments where things don't go well. Um, and, and, you know, again, that's what happens in game. That's half the fun is being able to laugh at yourself and, 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 and to go to the pub afterwards and kind of recount how, how, how things could have been. Um, you know, I think our Austerlitz game was a great game because Greg had set it up uh, where he put cotton all over the table and we didn't know and we we're moving all the troops on, on, on paper and, and, and I fully expected you know to, to attack the right flank uh, up the heights I was I was I was the French uh, commanding the French and, and and those damn Austrians they put everything in the uh, on their right flank and we just blundered right into it and, and my my entire battle plan as brilliant as it is out the door uh, and, and, and we were we were on the back foot the rest of the whole game. So watch that. Watch the Marengo game uh, where we, we that's probably one of our, our, our most popular Napoleonic videos where we had five tables and people had to move between the tables. And Greg kept like a secret map. And a couple of the players went to the wrong table. They thought they, they thought they were going to the ones as I'm going to go off this side because I want to go to this table. And, and, and that side did not lead to that table. And, and, and they kind of blundered off there. And, and, and you can see that in the video. Uh, and, and it's great. You know, our D-Day video, uh, the British forgot to guard a beach. Uh, and I was able to sneak in and, and just kind of kind of take it with a, uh, a static infantry uh, battalion. Um, it, that's half the fun. That, that's, 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 not that, that's most of the fun. But you got to be willing to laugh at yourself because every time it happens to you, one time it's in your favor and, and, and the next time it's not. And both are just as good. Absolutely. I, I think that gives a lovely indication of why this is fun, that there are ways of creating fog of war. And even, you know, we've talked in the, in the past on this channel about how you deal with the fact that you've got this bird's eye view. And so you can see every move that your opponent is making. And how do you yeah. resolve that issue? And it's, it's clever tricks like this that yeah, demonstrate well, that. I think that's one of the reasons why we like to do battles at a larger scale as opposed to you know lining up and we're going to rush at each other and it's a math game where you can have you know I don't know we really need maybe a third of the table for the battle but we got the table big enough where we can maneuver around and because you can't see me we'll do it off map um, you know for, for Austerlitz we actually started with a table and then Greg had built two extensions that one went to the north, one went to the south. We didn't know about them. Uh, and they kind of, we just stumbled onto them. And, and, and that was fantastic. You, you just got to think about how you do it uh, and, and give it a shot. There's a Trebia episode uh, with hidden units uh, that Greg couldn't figure out how, because he's named the battle the Romans would know about the ambush. And so he told the Roman players, they're fighting a different battle. Uh, and, and, and they showed up and then they figured out at the end, wait a minute, this, uh, yeah, I'm fighting Carthaginians, but it's not the battle you told me. Yeah, it's, it's great moments like that. I remember during lockdown playing um, with some friends of mine, uh, including Mike Kirkby, uh, shout out to you if you're listening, Mike, uh, where he had stolen effectively uh, one of his kids like toy castles mm -hmm. and he pulled together some Napoleonic figures and we had a, a siege assault on this castle and we were playing as the British and the two of us were absolutely convinced that there was going to be a mine in the breach and so we stayed away from the breach from the breach as long as we possibly could up until the moment where we looked at our losses and went 
the only way we're going to take this is if we go for the breach. We went for the breach. There's a gun in there. And so we took some losses in terms of canister fire. There was no mine. And so, the, you know, these things that you you try and second guess your enemy, it just goes to show that sometimes- well, The, the mind games, like, like we'll do that. Like I, I will stare at a part of the table that usually I have no intention of going to. Um, and, and, and again, that's, that's not the fun. You can't do that electronically. You can only do that in person. Uh, and, and the other thing you just got to realize is that, you know, you have to be a really good sport because uh, sometimes the dice are in your favor. Sometimes they're not. Uh, and if you get mad about it, you're just a jackass. <laughs> Absolutely. There is nothing worse than a sore loser. Yeah. What advice would you give for people who want to get into this? You know, how how do they start? Because we, we talked about, you know, the challenges of trying to find like-minded people. What would you suggest to somebody, well, wherever I, they are, wherever they are in the world? I think you, 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 you should look for a period of history that, that intrigues you. If you're looking for a popular period of history, the most, yeah, I get access to the Great War Gaming Survey that War Game Soldiers and Strategy does. Um, and, and time and time again, the single most popular historical gaming period is World War II, by far. Um, uh, it, it's always, you know, if you, we ask gamers, list your top three, it's listed by over 50% every year. So think about a World War II game, uh, because there's always going to be players. And it doesn't matter what rule set you pick, because World War II minis work for just about every rule set there is. Uh, and everyone likes to kind of refight Private, uh, you know, Saving Private Ryan or, or, or Band of Brothers. Um, so, you know, it, start with that. Start with a skirmish game because your, your prep to play ratio is pretty, pretty balanced. You know, you can get on the table pretty quickly um, and play with unpainted miniatures. There's no, nothing wrong with unpainted miniatures if you're learning the hobby. The worst thing in the world is to buy 3,000 Napoleonic figures and find after the 27th figure, you really detest both painting them and playing with them. That's, that's probably a bad outcome. Um, you know, use proxies. Uh, a lot of times I tell people, try Napoleonics with cardboard cutouts that you know, are roughly the same size as the units. One's got marked infantry, one's cavalry. See if you like the rock, paper, scissor aspects of the game. That's great advice. Although if somebody has decided they don't want their unpainted Napoleonic miniatures and they want to flog them to someone, um, yours truly here is interested. So well, I, I, I'd be happy to help them if they're on this side of the Atlantic. That's just that's just our duty to help the community. Absolutely. At, at, a, at an appropriate discount, of course. Of course. Of course. This goes without saying. Miles, this has been a really fun interview. It's been fast paced. I've certainly learned a lot. I've had a great time. Before we wrap this up though, I do want to give you the chance to publicize Little Wars TV. Hopefully people have got a sense of the great community behind it, the passion behind it, but how can they find you guys? How can they support your show? You talked about the Patreon, go nuts, do the, do the publicity thing. Oh, this is, this is the obligatory self uh, uh, promotion part. Well, please, we're, we're, we're a YouTube channel, Little Wars TV. Uh, we have a website, not surprisingly called, littlewarstv.com. Uh, and we're on Patreon. Uh, check out the site uh, and try historical gaming. I, I think you'll like it. Um, our, our site has a range of games. Uh, they're not all Napoleonic. Uh, in fact, most aren't. Uh, but just about every period of history we, we've tried. 
um, and we've got a lot of craft, we've got a lot of rule reviews, uh, uh, interact with us, you know, leave comments. Um, hopefully you will not be running for the Brutus Award. Uh, we actually have our, our we, we, we created a, a, a series of awards we give to content creators uh, that people now actually buy to get. We just made this up, but now, now they're called the Caesars. Now people buy to get them. And my favorite Caesar is what we call the Brutus Award, which we give to the most obnoxious comment we get over the course of the year. Uh, this year's winner, hands down, easy selection. Um, but 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 don't don't be buying for a Brutus Award. But but check us out uh, and, and and look for game stores or, or conventions. You go and meet people. I think you'll really enjoy this hobby. Mars, it's been an absolute joy. Folks, go and check out Little Wars TV. And Mars, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate Please. it. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here and, and have a lovely day. Before you go, folks, all the usual things. Remember to like and subscribe, leave a review on Apple Podcasts, and you can find me on Twitter at ZWhiteHistory. A huge thank you as ever to my Patreon supporters. It is their support that keeps this podcast going. If you're interested in contributing to the show, you can find out more from the link in the description. Prices start from £1 a month, and you get all kinds of perks from discount codes on um, pen and sword books, which means you actually quite rapidly end up regaining some of the money that you invest in the show, all the way through to voting rights, shout-outs in episodes, and even one-to-one meetings with me. If a regular subscription isn't your thing, which believe me I completely understand, you can leave one-off tips via Ko-fi. Again, the link is in the description. And all the money gets reinvested into producing more content further down the line. And I have a big project in mind involving footage from battlefields that could potentially be uh, a really engaging, exciting project if I can bring the money together to make it happen. A big thank you as ever to all of my Patreon supporters. And shout-outs to my uh, Emperor-level patrons, Mark Stoos and JC Kaiser, and Todd and Laird Campbell, my Marshall patrons, Matt Bone and Marcus Cribb, my Commander patrons, John Haynes, Gur Brown, Liam Telfer, Jane Davis, Bob Burnham, Andy Meakin, and Michael Guest, my Mentioned in Dispatches Plus patron, Noah Fink, and my Mentioned in Dispatches patrons, Alexandra Leon, Alistair Campbell-Greve, Beatrice de Graaf, Brendan Teeling, Colin Fieldhouse, Ed Koss, Bruins Girl, Gareth Copeland, Jeff Maple, Hugh Brennan, Indiana Fats, James Bevan, Jim Deary, Jim Getz, Josh Keeney, Lucy Tatner, Lynn Dawson, Mark Dewhurst, Mark Anscombe, Rob Griffith, Roy Muir, Ross Flowers, Ryan Diamond, Rob Coathlin, Mark Trowbridge, and Stephen Coulson. The Napoleon Assist will be back very soon. But until then, I'm Zach White. This has been The Napoleon Assist. Take care of yourselves, my friends. Stay well, stay safe. And as always, thank you for listening. (laughs) 